Everybody, welcome back to the program, and I have an amazing guest who is a good friend, somebody I talk to regularly about all the different things that are going on in our country, because as you guys know, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, pastor David Berman is the Senior Pastor of Christian Life Fellowship. It's in Swansea, New Hampshire, and he is seeing all different types of things happening there, despite the restrictions, despite the way that they're trying to shut down the churches. He continues to experience growth. He's seeing the Lord move. And so, Pastor Berman, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you always. Oh, man. Well, it's great to have you. And you and I were talking offline that you were one of the guests that we had not too long ago that got more comments than most shows. And I think part of that is because of your desire and willingness to speak boldly and speak the truth. And so I want to go into a plethora of issues with you today. But first, I want to share with the audience, you've been going through some uh, persecution up there. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of crazy for a couple months. Will you share a little bit about what's been going on up there? Sure. Um, you know, we all know about what's happening in our country, obviously. And we all know about the riots that took place and uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and Antifa and all these people for the violence. And when um, this started really happening, uh, I um, spoke out against uh, the Black Lives Matter organization because right. a more Marxist organization that wants to destroy the Judeo-Christian family. So I spoke out, I was preaching uh, on um, July 4th weekend, and I normally on the, on the July 4th weekend, I do a teaching on the founding of the nation and the Judeo-Christian ethic and principles that founded the nation. And I did that this year as well, but I mentioned also the uh, attack against liberty that is found in Marxism and how Black Lives Matter organization, and I want to stress mm. organization, yeah. we Everybody's life matters. That's not the issue. Right. But the organization is Marxist and anti-Judeo-Christian family. And I spoke that out and I also put my, I put posts on Facebook to the same and for literally all hell broke loose for the, the local uh, area people that are, are uh, in, uh, in, in tune with Black Lives Matter uh, and uh, other organizations right. began to try to destroy me. Hmm. Uh, Try to get me canceled and fired as a pastor. Freaking tried to freaking disperse my character. Wow. Put my name through the mud, called national or liberal organizations trying to get me on lists, mm -hmm. including this goofy Southern Poverty Law Center absurd organization. They tried to get them to put me on lists, and, wow. and then they started protesting me uh, at the church on Sunday morning during while the people were coming into service. Uh, they were not, they did not come on our property. They were outside the property, but right where the people come in to drive into the parking lot. Yeah. And they were, uh, you know, putting all kinds of signs, calling me all kinds of things, uh, putting it all over the internet, uh, trying to get people to cancel me. And um, they did that for 10 weeks. And then, of course, the death threats came in from people, the burn the church, we're going to wow. kill that stuff. When, when you say death threats, Pastor Berman, what do you mean? I mean, were they calling you? Were they emailing? How were they getting in touch with you? Uh, if they send me an anonymous, leave an anonymous message on my answer machine, they would send, uh, they would, I would notice on posts, one guy said, we need to burn that church down. Wow. Of uh, various types of threats that way. And this isn't the first time I've gotten many death threats in my life. Yeah. Now, when you get a death threat like that, I mean, what can law enforcement step in? Are they able to do anything or what happens in that case? 
Well, you know, if you call law enforcement, and my, I really want to tell you the unfortunate experience I've had with that. If we go back before this whole COVID thing, there was a few years ago a shooting, and I believe it was South Carolina to shut all those people up in a church, or it might have been somewhere else. I can't remember exactly where it was. But that very week, I got a death threat, a very credible death threat. Uh, someone in, in the area mentioned to a person, the person called and told us about it, that they threatened to murder me and the other pastor, one of my other, one of my other pastors. We have uh, three pastors here. Yeah. And uh, I called the police. I met with them. They were very unhelpful. Um, they told me that I had to go to a different state, a different town where the guy made the threat from. So I went there. They were very unhelpful. Um, they honestly didn't care. Wow. And, uh, so we realized that we're on our own. And I was very concerned at that one because we were having youth group that night and I got this death threat and I was concerned and they wouldn't even send a cop car down. So I had to get a bunch of my brethren and we came here and protected the, the, the church. Are so, you kidding me? So you're telling me that when you were under a situation where there was a, a, an imminent, imminent threat that the police department was nowhere to be found, you had to protect yourself? They didn't care. That's, <laughs> yep. I, mean, I would think at least they would send a squad car or something, you know? In fact, in fact I will tell you, it, I remember now, it was last Thanksgiving. And the cop in Keene, New Hampshire, where this threat took place, actually said these words to me. He said, I'm not, not going to believe it. He goes, I'm not going to be able to deal with this because it's Thanksgiving weekend. I said, <laughs> oh, okay. We didn't know you went home on Thanksgiving. I <laughs> I said to him, I go, so you're telling me that you can't deal with a death threat because you got to eat your turkey first? That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, we know that, you know, now, of course, we have the utmost respect for law enforcement. We sure do. We love first responders. And, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. but the, the thing is, is that I know how this works. I have many friends that are first responders. And when somebody's working on a holiday, they get paid time and a half. I mean, they get paid well. So you would think that there should be no issue. Well, he just didn't care. And I don't, I'm not suggesting that this is... Um, um, I'm not trying to besmirch the character of every other officer. I'm right. only telling experience you're with just, the, you're just talking about your experience. Yeah. Two officers I dealt with one from the Swansea police station and one from the keen one. They were not very helpful. Mm -hmm. Now, when I got the death threats from the black lives matter protesters, uh, the cop said, well, call us if you need us. Huh. I said, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I, yeah. I said, well, don't, to send a cop car by so eventually they finally sent a cop car by a couple times but yeah that's what i've dealt with so have these guys come to your church facility have they been at the building protesting you yeah right at the building wow so people so i'm sure this disenfranchises and probably you know at least some people in the congregation are concerned when they're walking in and they're seeing these people outside well that was the goal the goal was to get the people to turn on me so they would get rid of me so they wanted, they were trying to cause there to be, a, you know, people come to church and singing this, trying to put me down and trying to, you know, say these things about me that are not true. And, uh, but that didn't work. The uh, first of all, yeah, you know me, brother. Yeah. Your audience doesn't know me, but you can threaten me. I'm not going to be. In <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're not going to back down. Yeah. Not. My people, most of which I led to Christ myself. That's right. Um. They're not going to, they were, they were actually, most of them were, were just had either a, these people are ridiculous attitude or they were laughing at them because they thought it was so stupid, you know, because they're saying things that my people know are not true. Hmm. Wow. Um, you know, the thing about this, and I want to make sure that this is clear because on our comments, we always get this. 
people tried to accuse me of being some type of white supremacist. First of all, I'm Italian. Um, you know, <laughs> second of all, uh, you're, you're Jewish. So, I mean, it's come on, right? I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous, but we will get that type of uh, criticism. So I'll just put this out there. And, uh, and, and, and the thing about it is, is that I have friends. In fact, I work out every day with an African-American, one of my best friends. You know, I have grown up in a very diverse area in Los Angeles. You know, we had friends of every different race, color, and creed. Our church, we've always been diverse. The same with you. When you talk about Black Lives Matter being a Marxist organization, it, there isn't even a smidgen of denial that could possibly be when the, the person who founded it, who is a lesbian woman, by the way, is on video after video saying, we're Marxists. So there's no conspiracy. It's absolutely provable. And right. it's separate from the, the you know, movement. I had Alveda King on the show the other day, and she said, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying a Black Lives Matter. But the organization has taken that very catchy and, and true statement and, and hijacked it and made it into a real Marxist organization that unfortunately has a lot of people duped. And that's what you're talking about. So there's nothing whatsoever here when it comes to, uh, you know, you not telling the truth and what you're saying, Pastor Berman. Exactly. And, you know, not only are they Marxists, but the founder said that Marxism informs their worldview. It informs their political positions and their policies. Right. They're not people that were sitting in some commune somewhere 20 years ago. This informs their worldview. And we have this critical race theory nonsense being permeating the, the, the Christian colleges now and even many churches that are buying this nonsense. And let me make this very clear to your audience. Marxism is responsible for the death of 130 million people at yeah, least. That's right. That's right. And untold millions of miserable miserable lives under the, tyrann the tyrannical leadership of Marxist thinking, this collectivism, anti-individual liberty, horrific, disgusting yeah. path Marxism that we can look at over and over and over again. Every time it's tried, it's nothing but unmitigated misery for the people yeah. and the people on the very top are living just fine. That's and they right. About this so-called income inequality. Let's. Can I just hit that for yeah, a second? Please. First of all, I don't know what your income is, Todd, but your income is your income, and yeah. my in my income, and Joe's income is his income, and Mary's income is her income, and that's just determined by how much that you and I and her or Joe yeah. do lives, learn lives, and what decisions we make to what we're going to do for a living. Yes. Now, I was a businessman. I made very good money. I left it all for the kingdom of God. And when I did, I went through eight years of below poverty wages. Yeah. You know, I made a choice. Yeah. And the choice I made, and I had to live with the choice that I made. That's right. People live with choice they make. They think that you're going to have some magical formula that gives you so-called income equality. There's no such thing as income equality. That's this utopian mark absurd ideology that has never worked and never will. No, you're spot on. And, you know, with this whole thing, and I don't want to get into the whole Great Reset. I know you know a little bit about that. I don't want to get into all that today. But, you know, what, what they're doing with Agenda 2030 and all these different programs that they're pushing right. is, is they're pushing this universal basic income. And uh, a lot of that is because they want people to be so reliant on the state. The state replaces God. 
And that's what they're trying to do here. And so they want to, I mean, it's unfortunate, but literally these states that are closing down, you know, they're hurting the small businesses, they're hurting churches, churches are closing. You don't hear every story because they censor a lot of it. But, you know, there, there's a, a lot of people out there that have had to close. I mean, I know just in my town, so many of my friends have had to close their small businesses down because they just simply can't stay afloat with all these restrictions from COVID, COVID. And of course, the church is the same thing. Strip, strip clubs are open, though. Uh, Planned Parenthood is open. And, and, and now, you know, it's exactly what you're saying is, is that they're pushing us towards this, you know, quote unquote utopia, but it's never been utopia, whether it's been in the Soviet Union, whether it's been in Nazi Germany, whether it's been in Cuba, whether it's been in Venezuela, you know, wherever it's been, it's never worked out. But for some reason, they're able to capture the hearts and minds of our young people and use this ridiculous, you know, Ocasio-Cortez nonsense lies. Right. And people, even in the body of Christ, are buying it, Pastor Bernie. Well, because they're being deceived. I want to mention something about what's happening with you, what you just mentioned. You said the strip clubs are open. You said uh, forget the uh, Planned Parenthood abortion mills are open. These are the two spiritual forces that we are wrestling with as a nation in our culture. Wow. The first is bail worship. Yes. Strip clubs. Yes. Bail worship. Yes. And the second one is Moloch worship, the murder of children. Yes. And the center of the feminist agenda. Now, let me make it very clear. We're not talking about women being paid the same money for the same job with the same experience. We're talking about the feminist agenda. Hmm. The center of the feminist agenda is the ability to murder your child. It is actually the most important thing to the feminist. And in fact, and you, your, your viewers can look this up. In fact, Nancy Pelosi was asked about abortion one time, and she said these words. She said, and I quote, you don't touch abortion. It is sacred. Wow. She called the murder of children sacred because in the feminist religion, it is sacred. It is the center of the, because it's Moloch worship. Mm. Ability to murder your children. So the, the strip clubs are open because of Baal worship, which is a worship of sexual immorality amongst an idolatry. Right. And the Moloch worship is this idea you can murder your child and sacrifice your children. So yeah. these two spirits are very strong. And when you have Christian people walking around who don't understand these things, they buy the stupid arguments about, oh, everything's racism. And, every, and everybody who disagrees with the leftist is a white supremacist. Yeah. And doesn't want people to be uh, the awards of the state is a white supremacist. And everybody who believes that all people, including black people, should be set free to put businesses together, make money and live as well as they can and be, be, uh, be encouraged to be entrepreneurs and to come out from under the government plantation. We're yeah. called the they are the racist. They want to keep every person, black, white, yellow, green, whatever, right under their fist because they want a permanent underclass that will vote for them. And right. that is. Well, and here's the thing about that. So, I, you know, we've seen a historic amount of African-American, Hispanic, you know, women all vote for Donald Trump. And, and yep. he got 10 million more votes. You know, that's yep. what we're seeing now. I mean, I think it's a lot more, you know, in this last election. And somehow Joe Biden has managed to get more votes than Barack Obama, more votes than Donald Trump. And so we know it's a complete fraud. And so now we're faced with this. So, you know, people say, well, you know, we did vote. We did come out. The Christians are saying, look, we came out in record numbers. African-Americans are saying, look, we came out of the Democrat Party. We voted. 
you know, but look, we still can't get over this. Pastor Berman, as you look at the nation right now, you see what's going on. Are we going to get through this? Is President Trump going to, you know, prevail? Is our nation going to become communist? Where are we at in this defining moment? Well, I, I'm, I can't say what's going to happen because I don't, have, I don't have any control over what the judges might say. But let me just say for you this thing here. So for now, I've been I've been ordained for 29 years. I just passed 29 years. And so I've been serving the Lord as an ordained minister for 29 years. And before that served, uh, I was not ordained, but traveled as a, a preacher preaching the gospel in, in music, music bands. And uh, so I've been around a while and I have seen what we see right now happening. I saw this 30 years ago and actually spoke this in the 90s to the church I was pastoring there, explain them what is coming. They were all looking at me like I was crazy. <laughs> right. And I don't say this because I'm trying to claim I'm somebody better. Now. I'm not doing that. I don't walk around and say I'm a pro. I don't say that. So I'm a no, pro. You're a voice in the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> all I'm saying is I told people this 30, almost 30 years ago, because when you leave the fundamental Judeo-Christian principle that we are founded on and you leave that and you go from an understanding of thesis antithesis thinking, we're right and wrong to a relativistic worldview where basically whatever pop, uh, you know, pop movement tells you is right is right until the next pop movement comes down and tells you something else is right. It's, this is the world we're living in. So we've raised generations of kids right now that have no foundation or life of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And we've at this point where we have half the country has an understanding, at least to some extent, of the Judeo-Christian ethic. Didn't say after Christian. I didn't say half the country is Christian because it's not. Right. But half the country has some Judeo-Christian ethic understanding, and half the country has a socialist understanding, a mindset that wants government to rule them. And yeah. this at, and you had you went when you go from Barack Obama to uh, Trump, you got an absolutely diametrically opposed position, right? Right. No. This election where Biden isn't even pro- he isn't even campaigning because hmm. they need to because they stole the election and he knew it. Yeah. So I believe that actually most of the country now is on Trump's side. That's right. The African-American vote, we got uh, he got 12 percent. McCain only got four percent. That's that's three times about McCain. And McCain was the liberal darling. Remember, he yeah, was the one that right. liked. Right. Yeah. He got more. If. I believe that as bad as it looks right now, I actually believe the country itself has moved towards Donald Trump's position. I think so, too. I think there's no doubt about that. But the people who control the microphone, the news media, the entertainment, the political establishment, the deep state, these people are very loud and they have a lot of power because of what they control. And they've in every single institution, including the church, yes. infiltrate it, and they're very bold about it. But there's something happening below the surface on the side that is sick and tired of the political correctness. And so as much as I'm upset about what Biden did, and I'm hoping that Trump will win this because he did win it, yeah. I have hope for the nation because I do believe the nation is moving away from this socialist mindset. And we also see that politically in the fact that the House uh, Republicans gained a lot of seats. Yeah, yeah. And it makes no sense that uh, Biden would have got 80 million votes. Yeah. And then he uh, in a presidential election and then he loses 13 to 15 seats in the House. Right. 
Right. No, yep. the statistical and the probabilities and anomalies are just so, I mean, any mathematician, any political scientist looks and says, look, this is just not even pot. I mean, the chances are like one in a million that this would happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to, it's going to be like winning the lottery five times in a row, 10 times in a row. I mean, it's just not probable. And so I think that, you know, we're praying one thing that's encouraging me, and I know I don't, I want to be sensitive to your time, but you know, with the church, you mentioned the church, you know, what I'm seeing that I haven't seen historically is people crossing denominational boundaries, praying together. Uh, you know, I even see some Catholics and Christians are praying, you know, and, 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 and it's amazing. You know, it's something that we've wanted for many years. There's still a lot of people that are, that are, like you said, you know, delusional and unfortunately deceived, but there are some, we call them the remnant. I, obviously you and I are part of that group uh, that, that are, that are coming together, praying, they're fasting, they're repenting, uh, you and I were just down in D.C. during a, a massive gathering of repentance. Uh, you know, so there is hope. And I think, you know, obviously we, a lot of times the church in America shows up like, you know, at the last minute. But at least we're showing up from a biblical uh, perspective. You know, what you've seen in the Lord responding, Nation of Israel, Second Chronicles 714. You know, when the people of God pray and fast, you know, do you think we still have a chance or do you think it's too late? I do not think it's too late. I think if the, if the church will have a great awakening within the church that spills off it over the church into the streets, then we can have the nation turn around. It's not too late. Yeah. They, they turn Jerusalem upside down with 12 men. Yeah. We turn this country around, but the church must go back to the word of God. The church must stop being wimpy. And the pastors must stand and open the church. Yes. Stop. Yeah closing the church my church is open it's been open and it will remain open and i know that um according to the edicts of the governor who apparently thinks he's a king yeah. i'm not supposed to be doing whatever i do i don't answer to the king i answer to the king of kings that's right and i ought to obey god rather than a man i'm not closing the church or telling people that they uh, can't say hello to each other and I'm not telling people that they can't raise their hands and sing unto the Lord. Yeah. And I'm not telling people they got to cover their faces if they don't want to. That's right. That's right. Now, look at a lot of pastors around my area. Some of them are open. Some of them are not. Um, they've, they've got this interpretation of uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, which they seem, seem to think that they have to do whatever the government tells them to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, Romans 13 teaches us. No, no. At all, right. us we are to obey the government in all lawful um, orders that are not against the word of God. Yes, sir. So when I'm driving down the road and uh, the speed limit is 50 and I'm going 65, like unfortunately I often do, <laughs> I, by the police officer, I'm not going to yell at the police officer because I broke the rule. And I should obey that rule because there's nothing unlawful about that, unconstitutional about that, or certainly nothing unbiblical about that. Right. But to tell me that how I'm supposed to conduct my worship services is not something that they have jurisdiction over, right. according to the Constitution. And to tell me I can't have the gathering of the saints together when the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of the saints together. That's right. I have to make, decide to obey God. Yes. And if if we ever close the church, you know, if you close the church down for some reason, it should be the, the pastor and elders that decide that, not the government. 
that decides it. The pastor and elders decide that. So I have been, and I don't say this with a boastful pride. I I realize I can get in big trouble, but it is what it is. I've disobeyed the government for the government and the governor for the last, uh, I don't know, at least six or seven, eight months, whatever it's been. (laughs) Right. Well, and you did close down for a little while. And then once you realized that, hey, this pandemic isn't what they're saying it is. (laughs) And, you know, we saw the actual numbers and we understand what's going on here. This is part of a bigger agenda, you know, we opened up. That's what you did. I mean, you know, and that's what every pastor should be doing, you know? When the, uh, this first started, I told the people, I said, I'm not going to close the church down because the government says to, I'm guaranteeing that. If I said, what I will do is me and the elders will sit, trying to have a conversation and look at all of the available data we have right now. Yeah. Then we'll make a decision. So we were actually the last church in the area to close down because we waited. And then then we said, the elders said, you know, let's take a little time. We don't know what's going on with this thing. It looks really bad. Because remember, you got to go back. Hindsight's 2020. Right, right. After about a month, I started realizing there's an agenda here. (laughs) And uh, even, I don't know if you remember, uh, brother, but uh, I even asked you, I said, are you sure about that? You know, I want to make sure. I don't don't like any kind of, um, I'm not one to just believe what I hear on the internet. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I wrestled with that at first. Is this really what I think it is? You know, is this really? conspiracy not that the virus isn't real but that they're going to use this and it became clear to me they were going to so i opened the church uh we had outdoor services for a couple weeks and we got back into the building and let me tell you, i've led a lot of people to jesus since then amen yeah and it reminds me of uh, amy simple mcpherson it was during another plague during her day uh you know in the turn of the century in the 1900 or you know uh to uh in the early 19th century. And she, they were in a pandemic and she did the same thing. They had, you know, they decided not to close and they had a great awakening and revival. And, uh, and that's what I think is happening here. And, and, you know, it's like every church pastor, I just talked to pastor uh, Greg Locke this week, you know, similar situation, you know, he's, his church is growing leaps and bounds because he's one of the pastors that remained open. My friend, pastor Shane Eidelman out in California, pastor Jack Hibbs, I can go on and on, you know, good friends of mine, uh, Rodney Howard Brown down in Florida, you know, those that have stayed open, and Rodney even got arrested during this whole thing, man. Uh, but, you know, those that have stayed open, they're seeing a move of God, you know, and they're seeing the Lord move when people are getting saved and set free and healed and delivered. And so this is a real defining moment where the Lord is separating. You know, I said it the other day, and I'll say it again. How can you call your church Hope Chapel and be closed? I mean, when you open up, you're going to have no credibility. How do you have hope when you're closed down, right? I mean, you know, and it goes for any church. How are you going to preach on hope? How are you going to preach on faith and all those things when you've been closed for months you know, and you're not doing what the Bible says? So I think no matter what, listen, I, I might, some people may call me extreme to this. I don't know if you agree with me on this, Pastor, but even if there was a crazy pandemic and it really was what they say, I still kind of think the church should remain open because the church is a lifeline for the nation. You know, Jesus was ministering to lepers, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, we just got to believe, you know, that the Lord is going to be with us. I've, you know, been around many sick people as a pastor, gone to hospital after hospital, you know, people with infectious diseases. The Lord has protected me over the years. I know people that go down to Africa, they're around all different malaria, different types of things, Ebola, and the Lord has sustained them. So I don't know, maybe that's an extreme view, uh, but that's kind of how I feel about it, you know? Yeah, I, I understand your view. Um, there were some other considerations that pastors were thinking about early on. <clears throat> like one of the considerations was thinking what the witness to the community would be. Right, right. In other words, if you had this really bad pandemic coming in and the people who don't know Jesus don't understand these things, 
are you giving a bad witness by remaining open when the government's just asking you to shut down for Oh, yeah. Two. No, no. And I, I totally agree with that perspective. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, we were we were worried about the uh, elderly people. And, you know, I, I get it. Like, I, I advise people the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the discussions that people were having. So forget my my position was. And you might even remember, I, I, I put on lies. People pray for me. I got to make a decision. I really don't want to close down. Right. No, I remember my my go to is to never do that. Uh, but the elders felt like, you know, we don't really know. So let's just take a little time. So I did it. Yep. But once we realized freaking um, that this was not, this was nonsense, what they were doing, we, we opened up and I got on uh, television because we broadcast our, our service every Sunday morning. And I challenged the governor uh, openly. I said, I'm opening up. And you come, you can come see me with your men with guns and arrest me if you want to, but I'm not going to obey you. And my, I think my real problem with a lot of the brethren um, is that they seem to be afraid. Yeah. See, somebody got mad at me for doing that. They said, "Why do you have to freaking challenge the government? Why do you have to challenge the governor?" I mean, somebody said, "Why do you do that? Why do you have to be like that?" And I said, "Well, um, because that's what Daniel did." Daniel was told you're not to pray. Daniel was in his own living quarters, could have done whatever he wanted to do. Nobody would have known. And he opened the windows up and he prayed and made sure everybody saw him praying. Because yeah. he was the people, I must obey God rather than man. And so I got on television, did what I had to do. And I've spoken to the governor and he won't answer the question. I asked him, how come the strip clubs are open? How come the booze is open? If the, the, the brethren don't understand this, he didn't answer. Yeah, well, it's like Lowe's and, and, and Home Depot and, yeah. you know, all the supermarkets are open. I was on a plane on American Airlines recently. I sat two people on one on both sides. Whole plane was crowded. So it's just, it's been, you know, not consistent in their, in their ruling. I mean, I was just on a plane. I came back from Tennessee, right? Yeah. I, people, the plane was packed. We're sitting there sucking in the same air for two hours. Right. right? Yeah, right. you can't go to church. Yeah, it's bizarre. And I'm, I'm sad to see. And again, I want to make clarification, too, because I mean, I, I agreed also when you shut down. I mean, I, I know how you I mean, it was a very difficult decision for all pastors. And we all got it at that time. We didn't know. But now hindsight's 2020. We're looking, we're seeing we're like, okay, we get what this is. And uh, I think it's a critical time. I think as the church stands, I think as the church prays, I think more pastors like you, which are few and far between, by the way, but, you know, bold pastors, God's going to continue to expand your territory, Pastor Berman, because you're speaking the truth. You're preaching the whole, whole Bible. You're standing for righteousness. You're not afraid. And by the way, you're one of the most loving, kind pastors out there. I know, you know, sometimes when you're bold, people might not get the whole thing, but I know you kind, loving, love the Lord, care about the word of God, doctrinally sound. So, you know, how can people find your services and, and, and find out more about what you're doing? Uh, they can go to clfchurch.com. That stands for Christian Life Fellowship, clfchurch.com. You can find about the ministry there, and you can also watch uh, our, our service every Sunday morning at 1045 um, on uh, our YouTube channel, Christian Life Fellowship, or our Facebook page, Christian Life Fellowship. And you can also email me right from, uh, my email is just simply Dave at clfchurch.com. And it's important, brethren, it's so important to understand 
And I want to just say, do I have a minute to say something to the pastors? Yes, of course. Yes. Look at, we have a very difficult job because no matter what you do, someone's going to hate you when you're a pastor. And, and, and I want the people, the lay people listening to understand that we don't enjoy that at all. It is not fun for us. It doesn't make us happy. It, it, it causes a lot of strain on us that we're always put down no matter what we do. Right. But I just want to say to the pastors, do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember when the Holy Ghost came into your body? Mm. Do you remember? when you were called by God to ministry, when something called you and you went and you got training for ministry. And you remember when hands were laid on you, when you were ordained and you felt the presence of God and the incredible weight that comes on you when you're ordained in the ministry and you had fire in your bones mm. and you were do something for Jesus. And then you went out there and you got your butt kicked and beat down and beat down by people who put you down. And so now you're afraid. I say to you, brother, Come on. Yep. You can stir that thing up again because it doesn't matter ultimately whether the world loves us or hates us. And unfortunately, even the, sometimes the brethren, the sheep, they bite. But oh. the bottom line here is the fire in you, let it be like Jeremiah who said, I was weary from holding back. I was weary from forbearing. I had to preach the name. You brothers... You pastors are beat up or you're tired of fighting. Get up in your pulpit and do what God said to do. And if the church tells you to leave, they tell you to leave. But you can walk away with your head held high knowing you're doing the right thing before God. I'm telling you, I know how you feel. 29 years, I've been slammed, besmirched. I mean, I can tell you story to story. It doesn't feel good. It hurts me. But we've got to remember that thing in us that got us into the ministry that told us what we're to do and let's do it. That's right. Wow. Good words from senior pastor, David Berman. Uh, amazing what you said today, pastor. We're going to put your information up on the screen right now as well, that people can go and see the links and, and I'm going to be watching your service. Uh, uh, now I know it's on YouTube. I didn't know you're on YouTube. So uh, very, very cool, man. Well, thank you. Appreciate you uh, being on the show today. And of course, we'll have you again soon. Please be praying for Pastor Berman as he stands boldly and uh, just amazing. One of the few in this country that I can say stands the way Pastor Berman does. We thank you, Pastor Dave. We'll be back with more of the Remnant Radio.